a collection of hundreds and hundreds of God's wisdom and pieces of advice that when we put them together, give us a tremendous picture of how we are to live our lives as his people. Now, even though we are no longer uh, explicitly studying Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, like seeing his name all over and having it right there in the text, I want to press in on us that we are still studying Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment of all that Proverbs speaks of that is good and righteous and wholesome. And he is the source of all this wisdom. We don't find that out to the New Testament, but in Colossians 2, 3, we are told that all the treasures of wisdom, all the wisdom of God is in his son, Jesus Christ. So keep looking for Jesus in these Proverbs. Keep listening and keep seeking to follow him by what he reveals here. So each week I'm starting with just a small promotion for why study 3,000-year-old Proverbs that don't, if we want to be negative, seem that relevant. Like surely we have advanced far beyond these pieces of wisdom that God first had penned through Solomon and other writers. But Proverbs is very clear to emphasize its worth. So since we're talking about friendship today, let's take a proverb from chapter 7 and think of that as wisdom being our friend. So Proverbs 7.4 commands us, charges us, calls us to say to wisdom, you're my sister. Sounds a little odd. You're like family to me. I feel as close of an intimacy with you as I would with a family member. And call insight, which is the ability to have a sight that's beyond the human means that God gives us, God's perspective. Call insight your intimate friend. Again, if Christ is wisdom, we ultimately are, ask, are speaking of him here as a friend. But it's saying insight and wisdom from God are so valuable. I have to have them at my side every day as I walk through life in order to walk rightly. I couldn't do life without wisdom and insight from God. So we're in about our fourth or fifth week of being in Proverbs. You can see a couple of topics if you haven't been here, if you can't remember what we did last week that we've covered already. And last week we specifically zeroed in on seeking to not only die to sinful and foolish words, but to live to and speak righteous words, that our Redeemer is here to redeem our speech. I thought of doing one more Sunday on words, on the other side of it, receiving them and how much words influence the way that we live as well. And that may happen at some point, but not today. I also thought about, well, words seems to be the biggest big theme in Proverbs, and maybe the second big, biggest is sexual immorality. And thought about going there today, but I do feel in light of that topic that it's good to give parents in our body a heads up on that, that it's coming, and you can decide if your child or children are ready for what the Bible has to say about that. Proverbs is graphic at times in how it speaks of these things. 
So maybe it's a Sunday when you see it coming that you worship at home or visit another local church and support them. And then without the kids, watch the message later. So parents, it's coming soon, uh, perhaps toward the end of June or in early July. So watch for that note. Today, we're going to think, as you can see, about God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs for friends and friendships, recognizing that God cares deeply, that we are wise in all of our relationships, particularly who they are, why we're in relationship with them, and how we are conducting that relationship. Relationships, friendships, are very complicated things. They bring great blessing, but they can also bring incredible pain. They powerfully shape who we each become, and it is actually one of God's primary means of making us disciples of his, that we learn from each other through our relationships and our friendships. So, massive topic, massive in terms of all that scripture says about it. We're going to zero in and hone in, stick almost exclusively to Proverbs just a sprinkling of a few other verses. Um, when you actually, if you just search for the word friend in Proverbs, there aren't that many references, but the principles for our friendships are all over in Proverbs. We'll take some of these, ran out of time to do all of them, or try to do all of them, but trust that you will seek to be applying them on all the different levels, starting with your very, very best, closest friend, or friends, and for those of us who are married, that had better be your spouse, but you can't presume that. But also others who are your really good friends, kind of that next tier, and then others that you would call friends. And perhaps think about things like, what kind of friend, friend am I to others? What about me draws me to other people, and what about them? draws me? What do I look for in others? What do I need to develop to be a better friend? Which of my friend choices would God deem wise, pleasing to him? And which of my friend choices would he perhaps say are foolish or being lived out foolishly? What do I value and treasure and look for most in my friendships? What are the foundational things that my friendships are built on? And without looking to blame others, why, because of me, do some of my friendships go well? And why, because of me, do some of them go badly? Father, we pray today as Jesus prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. So please sanctify us with these proverbs today that we who are privileged to know you through faith in your son would live according to them and make our choices in life to please, honor, and glorify you in what you say here. May these Proverbs be living and active inside of us, not just during this morning message, but long after this. And may they be living and active in our minds and penetrating deep into our hearts working to transform us to be more like your son. And may these Proverbs be sharp and pierce deeply into our souls where they need to, discerning our deepest motives, desires, thoughts, and attitudes in all of our friendships. 
doing the surgery that we need. So please, Lord, sanctify us in your truth today, we pray. Amen. So number one, we're going to take a little bit of a longer runway to this. I know I have trouble, but we'll get, we'll get there eventually. I want to start with just, we need to be wise about the necessity and the purpose of friendships. And we're going to point ultimately to creation, Genesis 1 and 2, for some of that foundation. And I want to say that I'm starting with this point for those who don't think friendships are all that important. Those who don't want to have friendships, and perhaps those who, because they've been so hurt by some of them, have really withdrawn and are ready to give up on many of them. Just a reminder, God is incredibly relational. He created us for fellowship with him, not out of a need for us, but out of a desire for us to enjoy him and relationships and friendship. That's what we've been created for. It's one of the ways we're most made in the very image of our God and the likeness of our God is that we're relational and we, we on our side, need those relationships. So a reminder from Genesis 2 that after God created just one human, he emphasized it is not good. Like he made that point for us. It's not good for man to be alone. And it's interesting that God could have created a whole bunch of humans who had nothing to do with each other whatsoever because perfect fellowship with him was all each of us needed. And we could just all be autonomous and independent of each other. But he didn't. He created us to be very woven together in our lives with each other. And even though fellowship with God is completely sufficient He didn't make it exclusive to that. He made humans needing other humans for us to be fully human. Anthony Savaggio, the desire for friendship is woven into our very nature for we are made in the image of the triune God who is himself the ideal society. We are built for the experience of deep lasting relationships and few things are more rewarding in this life. Friendship enables us to do extraordinary things, things we'd never be able to do so on our own. This is because the Christ life is inescapably corporate. We need each other, and probably even more than we realize. So we start with a warning from Proverbs that people who isolate themselves, cut off from relationships, try to do uh, life alone because it seems simpler and easier, He starts with this warning, two things, that you seek your own desire or your thinking very selfishly, you're only thinking about you, and even worse, you're thinking irrationally. You are breaking out against, you are knocking down sound judgment in order to have life your way. So here again, it is not good for man to be alone. Man, apart from God, is dead. But man, apart from man, is very unhealthy. It isn't good either. So the truth is, though we may think we don't do well in relationships, we actually do even worse alone. C.S. Lewis expressed, I think, well, the danger and folly of holding back. 
He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. He just took a shot at you pet lovers. Okay, and actually some of us find our pets easier to love than humans because they, we control them a little bit more. They don't have that sin nature. Wrap it, your heart, carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries in your little kingdom that you build. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. What a wording. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So better for us to have loved and been hurt and disappointed than to have not loved. A little longer thought from Greg Morris. Uh, I actually saw this article a couple of months ago and said, oh, need to hang on to it till the day, uh, the Sunday we do friendships. And then I forgot all about it, but the Lord brought it forth from my browser this week. Uh, so here's some thoughts from him. Arrogance makes isolation dangerous. And the thinking is, I don't spend more time with other people because I don't need other people because I know better than other people. Whenever someone leaves or avoids the community he needs, he has been lured away by sinful desires. Desires for privacy or autonomy, comfort, ease, money, sex, even for vindication or vengeance. At root, it's our desires that divide and isolate us. And then he quotes from James 4, and I'll read verse 1 of that. What causes quarrels? What causes fights, those things that ruin relationships? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He goes on to write, The desires that keep us from one another are varied, but they're all rooted in selfish discontentment. We want and do not have, so we excuse ourselves from love, either by attacking one another or by abandoning one another. Whether we isolate ourselves from the perspective, encouragement, and exhortation of others, we open ourselves wide to the deceitfulness of sin. And why is the deceitfulness of sin so compelling? Because Satan studies and preys on our desires. He's a master gardener carefully seeding selfishness, discontentment, and bitterness in just the right places. Consistent, meaningful community, however, exposes and thwarts him. It reveals just how thin and shallow his lies are and just how far our desires can sometimes wander. Do human friendships inevitably disappoint us? Yes. Over and over and over and over. In fact, Proverbs 18, so same chapter, a little bit later, verse 19, says that a brother or a sister or a friend who is offended is more unyielding or unforgiving or stonewalled than a strong city. And I just want to insert there, just based on pastoral experience particularly, ladies, you often love more deeply and you often hurt more deeply and you often then become potentially more unyielding than a strong city. Now, God doesn't intend that any of our human relationships will be perfect. 
Well, from creation, yes, but not from the fall on. We only find that perfection in friendship now in Jesus Christ. We will ultimately find it with each other in heaven, and that will be glorious. It's one of the beautiful aspects, is eternal fellowship with each other without sin ever once coming into the scene and wrecking things. Final thoughts about this, and then we'll get to the next point that introduces the Proverbs that we're going to talk about. We need to be wise about the necessity, but we also need to be wise about the insufficiency of our human friendships. C.S. Lewis again, now from a different book, Mere Christianity, that I read this week. The best of them is going to let us down. The best of our friends will make mistakes. All of them will die. We must be thankful for all the people who have helped us. We must honor them and love them. But never, never pin your whole faith on a human being. Not if he is the best and the wisest in the whole world. And then he gives this helpful illustration, I think. There are lots of nice things you can do with sand, but do not try building your house upon it. If we don't look enough for friendships, we're incomplete, we're misshapen people. We're bent in on ourselves, and that's not a good thing. It may be easier, but it's not better. But if we look too much to human friendships, they will also always be disappointing, for no human friendship can fulfill all the heart cravings that we have that only God can. Second introductory thought before we roll. We must be wise about our greatest friend and our most important friendship because it's foundational to all the other friendships that we have. So we've normally concluded our messages in Proverbs with a thought about, thoughts about the gospel, and we will today in the sense of we're going to the Lord's table. But I want to start with it up front because it's the starting place for all real friendships. So Proverbs doesn't have this. This is a proverb from the book of Psalms next door, just a few pages over to your left from where we're at in Proverbs. But it captures this idea that the friendship of the Lord, that the Lord extends friendship to those who fear him and makes known to them his covenant. So we might, if we want a formula, think faith in God, fear of God, and trying to keep alliteration, I cheated a little bit, affection or love for God, all lead us toward an incredible fellowship and friendship with God. One illustration of that is Abraham where James tells us specifically in the New Testament, looking back thousands of years earlier to Abraham's faith and the fact that he was called a friend of God. One of the stunning pieces of news in the gospel is that God makes enemies of his, friends of his, when they put their trust in his son and what he has done. Jesus made this profound distinction at the Last Supper, just hours before he went to the cross. It's in the context of charging his disciples to love each other. And then to explain that, to emphasize that, he then makes these statements. Number one, that there's no greater measurement of love than for someone to lay down their life for their friends. And then secondly, he states directly, you are my friends. All are his friends who do what he commands. 
And no longer are we only servants, though that is honorable for such a master. But he calls us friends. He makes us friends of his and reveals to us all that the friendship of the Father and Son enjoy. So genuine disciples of Jesus are followers of him, students of him, servants of him, many other things, but also remarkably, amazingly friends of his. So let me just pause here and ask you, do you have a personal friendship with God? That might be a revolutionary question for you. Or what is your answer for the relationship with God that has been broken by your sin? How can you be restored to actually be a friend of God? The Bible tells us very clearly that our sin against God causes God to see us as his enemies, every human being, when we first start out. Our sin alienates and separates us from God. And all of our attempts to be good people on our own strength don't win us over, cannot win us over, because all of our sin at the same time is still opposing him. But God, incredibly, as we read last week in Ephesians 2, shows mercy, loving, tender mercy in sending his son to live a perfect human life none of us comes close to without any sin so that when he was crucified on the cross, he would be a sacrifice to God to pay our punishment to be in our place and rise from the dead so that God could forgive our sin and transform us amazingly from one extreme of enemies condemned to friends of God blessed with righteousness forever. So as the bulletin says, and for those of you who perhaps are wrestling with this, there's some other expressions of the gospel there, but just the invitation by God to be his friend, to know him through faith in his son, to believe in him, to turn from sin in order to obey him and live for him. And we would love, love, nothing more we'd love to talk about with you afterward than that, just to make sure you understand. And so please, please consider that. For those of us who are followers, thoughts for us as well. Are you daily, and I would even emphasize hourly or constantly, continually, nurturing from your side of things your friendship and fellowship with God? Does that have the priority in your life that it needs to above all other human friendships? We get into trouble when we spend more time and invest more in a human friendship than we do in our friendship with God. And secondly, is that friendship forming and fueling and directing all the other friendships that you have. The better our friendship with God, the better our friendships with other humans here on earth. All right, now that we're halfway, let's open some Proverbs on these. But I wanted those foundations, not good to be on your own, not good to be disconnected from God or not close to God and try to have healthy relationships. All of the else that we look at comes within those contexts. So we need to be wise, God says in Proverbs, about what we build our friendships on, who we choose to be our friends, and how we maintain those friendships. 
So we'll start with a foundational one in Proverbs 13, 20. Just a simple principle that who you walk with has a tremendous impact on who you become. Those who walk with wise become wise and wiser and wiser and wiser. And those who make themselves companions of fools, sometimes even just one, will suffer tremendously for that choice. The way Paul will write it in 1 Corinthians 15, a thousand years later, is bad company or poor choices about who you're hanging out with ruins good morals. And it's also, I don't have this on the slide, but it's the way Psalm 1 opens. The whole book of Psalms opens with, you will only find blessing if you don't sit, stand, and walk with sinners and scoffers and fools. Every friendship we have is either making us wiser, leading us toward God, or working foolishness in us and leading us away from God. Now, there's a bevy of Proverbs. Here's three samplers. There are warnings that not everybody is to be our closest friend. We should particularly note, and here's three cases. Anger, those who are given to anger. And the reason is, the proverb warns us that that'll rub off on us. Those who are stingy, that's an interesting one, isn't it? That's me, by the way. So be careful around me when you're having a meal. But the point is that what they're showing you on the surface isn't really what's going on in their hearts, and you'll regret it later. And then the warning to be careful around people who lack discipline in either drinking or eating, where they indulge the flesh, for ultimately that lifestyle will ruin you as well. So recognize fools do more damage to you than you realize and wise friends bring more blessings than you often realize, at least in the moment. But it's good also to flip this onto ourselves, Proverbs 13, 20, and simply ask, are people drawn to friendship with you because they see you as wise? In the New Testament, one of the ways God puts the idea of walking with the wise is Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. So some of the last sentences that Paul wrote in all of the New Testament that we have recorded and kept for us, he warns Timothy, as we noted on graduation Sunday, flee youthful passions. There are so many, so many. And the younger you are, the more you have. But even people my age can be filled with youthful passions that have not yet been killed. And instead, don't just run into nothingness Run with and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Because that's what the wise pursue, those qualities. And run and pursue those things with other people, in community. All of you calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then Proverbs 20, 21, 21, 21 reinforces the value of pursuing righteousness and kindness. Now, like the New Testament... Proverbs places the highest premium on relationships and on our friendships on love. Three pretty profound Proverbs about this concept. We'll start with Proverbs 19.2, even though that's not the first time that it shows up in the book. But it poses the importance. What is desired in a man? What's really desirable in a human being? A quality that is most attractive and alluring is steadfast love. So 
such a description of God's love, here is the call for us to express that same kind of unwavering love. Humans are created in our DNA with a deep yearning to be loved even when the worst things about us become known. But Proverbs presents the problem one chapter later. Many a man, most human beings, proclaim to have steadfast love. Almost all of our relationships start with the idea that this relationship is gonna run forever or for a long time because we have such strong love for each other, whether it's romantic or whether it's just a friendship love. But it poses the question to emphasize it rhetorically. A faithful man who can find. It is rare to find people with this kind of love and this kind of trait. It's the needle in the haystack sort of thing. Not only is it easy to say I love you or to express that you'll be with someone, but so much harder to actually carry that out when push comes to shove because life is filled with the endless grind of our sin rubbing against each other. But also, we deceive ourselves about how steadfast our love really is. If we're really honest, most of the time, if we're treated unlovingly by someone we respond in kind. Not above that, not in spite of that, lovingly, but we tend to fluctuate and make it very, very conditional. And it's just good to think here. How many close friends have lasted at least 10 years with me? Or 20, for those of you that have lived that long. They're rare, aren't they? They're hard. Ray Ortland has a short little quote in his commentary that's so good. The gospel creates these rare people. Because when we see the faithfulness of God, it rubs off on us and we become more faithful people. And when we see the steadfast love of God, we learn to set love more steadfastly. And when we see God cover all of our offenses, which is coming up briefly, we also learn how to cover the many, many, many offenses that people commit against us. And then the third reference to steadfast love and faithfulness are actually very early in Proverbs, just before the verses that we looked at on graduation Sunday when we spoke to the graduates, where we're commanded, we're charged, we're commended to not let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake us. Isn't that an interesting wording? They leaving us. But it's because we allow them to fade and to die out and to weaken. We stop binding them around our neck, which means externally displaying it and writing them on the tablet of our heart, which means even more importantly, foundationally deep inside of us, we are steadfast and faithful lovers of people. Beautiful qualities that verse four tells us will bring favor and success in both the sight of God and man. A few more Proverbs that reinforce this. Proverbs 10, 12, with different wording. Love covers all offenses. There's a simple definition of what steadfast, faithful love is. Or a little bit differently, Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense is seeking love. 
Like that's what you're working toward. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend or a faithful friend with real love for you loves you at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. And I think God is pressing in there that some people, some of our friends, some of our brother or sister-like friends actually excel in adversity times. That's when they're at their best. Many of our friends will scatter at that point when adversity comes on us. But the best friends shine during that time. And then Proverbs 18, 24, I just like this word picture. There's a warning first. You try and have too many companions. You try and have too many friendships. You won't be able to keep them all up. And the bigger that circle grows, the more likelihood there is of chaos at some point. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I love that picture or that word, sticks. There's somebody who's just glued to you and won't leave you, won't abandon you. Good friendships weather inevitable injury and conflict and so many other things that ruin friendships. So Proverbs commends to us, first of all, wrapping this thought up, be that kind of friend. Be a steadfast lover, a faithful person who sticks with people through thick and thin, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, not just in marriage, but in all of our relationships. And secondly, seek and treasure that kind of friend. Short-term friendships are a dime a dozen in this world. But the good ones, the lasting ones, the ones built around steadfast love and faithfulness between two people are incredible. A few final Proverbs just ran out of time to do more of these, but these four I wanted to briefly highlight before we begin to wrap up our thoughts that are central to healthy friendships. Proverbs 12, 26. One who is righteous, and that's very synonymously used in Proverbs for wise people, they're righteous people, is a guide to his neighbor. That's where he who walks with the wise becomes wise comes from. That advice and that guidance that we give each other is so important for navigating this life. Proverbs 27.9, word picture. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, at least for some of us. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The best aspects of our friendships are not that we enjoy golf together or love to have coffee together and tog our legs off, but because we get and give earnest counsel to each other that help us work through the hardest things that we come across in this life. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman, sharpens another. And very similarly, a few verses earlier, actually, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And just ahead of that in the verse before it, better is open rebuke than hidden love that some of the most loving things friends do is have those hard conversations that are sharp, that are wounding, but for ultimately a good rather than secretly keeping them in. Now, using Kenny Rogers' lingo from long ago, sorry if you don't know who that is, we got to know when to hold them and we got to know when to fold them. We got to know when to, I can't remember, we'll walk away, we got to... But it means we're not slinging out every rebuke and correction we, we ever see in our friends. 
It takes wisdom and insight and discernment to discern which ones do we bring up that are faithful and good to help heal. Nobody's going to want to be your friend if all you do is throw rebukes and corrections all the time. Greg Morris. So who are your advisors? Who knows you well enough to challenge your plans and decisions? When's the last time someone pushed back on something in your life? If you can't remember, you may be more isolated than you think, at least in the ways that really matter. And earlier in the article, he said this, online articles, sermons, and podcasts can be a great gift, but we all need flesh and blood, life-on-life perspective for our particular personality struggles and circumstances. We need friends who can look us in the eye and who will look us in the eye and see what no one online can. Just came across this quote. Beth shared it with me this morning before I headed to church, but it fits here. Burke Parsons says, in many churches today, it is considered worse to judge evil than to do evil. And faithful friends don't see it that way. Summary. And again, this comes from Greg Morris, but I thought these four were really a great encapsulating of what our friendship should be marked consistently by. Honesty, counsel, correction, and encouragement. Lots more, as I've noted, that we could say here, but let's spend some time now preparing our hearts to fellowship with our Savior. He's invited us to his table where we fellowship, even in our confession, in friendship with him. And bring you back to what Jesus said that night that he went to the cross to his disciples. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that is what Jesus then literally did just hours after telling his disciples the greatest marks of friendships. But, We know from the New Testament, he didn't just do it for those 12 or 11, but for us as well. And because we see Jesus befriend sinners, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, the demon-possessed, anyone who came to him for his mercy on them, we can confidently rejoice that he is willing to befriend us, as stunning as that is rather than leave us as hopeless enemies of God. Jesus laid down his life so that we who trust wholeheartedly in him can actually be a friend of God. We're not particularly great friends to Jesus, but he is a perfect friend to us. What a friend we have in Jesus. So would you in these next moments Gaze at your friend hanging on the cross, giving his body and his blood for your sin. And see that friend the way he's been revealed to us in Proverbs this morning. Come to your friend on the cross who's so full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Come to your friend who covers all your offenses, all of them, and loves you at all times equally. Come to your friend who sticks closer than a brother to you 
and has promised he will never leave you or forsake you, ever. Come to your friend whose earnest counsel and guidance is so sweet. And come to your friend, your truest friend, who's willing to be sharp with you and to wound you as needed. Our friend is laying down his life on the cross for us.